Hello and welcome to Yubcast, your Star Wars cartoon podcast. My name's Jamie, and are you kidding me? I'm blind. And my name is Matt. The dark side is strong in me, for I am Sith. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, that's a good one. It's very apt. There's not a lot of dialogue in these because they have a lot of economy of action, but I really like that line a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Duke. Um... We can talk about it once we get there. So uh, what we're talking about uh, today is the Clone Wars, not the uh, not the uh, beloved uh, series that uh, ran for seven season, but the the uh, series of shorts that uh, came out in 2003, pre uh, Revenge of the Sith. That they're just a bunch of uh, little three minute uh, pieces. Uh, they're on Disney Plus. Disney has put them kind of all together into two parts and um who is it by again uh tartavosky the tartavosky the animation director behind samurai jack yeah it's a very different style but at this point you know there there wasn't a whole lot of star wars cartoons in fact probably um droids and ewoks were the were the only cartoons uh, of star wars beforehand right yeah so we can we can sort of drill down on that now um you want so the 2003 Tartavosky Clone Wars was literally a cartoon series put together between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith to sell toys. It was pitched to Lucasfilm by um, Hasbro to generate interest in Revenge of the Sith, the movie that was coming out in a couple of years to move product from the Clone Wars, or from Attack of the Clones. Sort of the backstory behind this is that Hasbro had done this previously with a Transformers property, where they had pitched a series of short cartoons in order to generate kid interest in Transformers again, to sell more toys, and they came to Lucas and basically proposed the exact same thing, and Lucas is like, sure, why not? Um, The original inception of this was not three-minute cartoons, it was three to four minute cartoons, which is what we got. It was one minute cartoons that would be played as a series of commercials on the Cartoon Network, um, basically as filler between regular appearing series. Mm-hmm. Um, but they would only be 60 second episodes. Um, they wanted to bring in basically a known cartoon animator that could tell a story in a really short period of time. So they, they hired Tartavosky to do it. But when he heard that they were 60 second clips he said that he couldn't do it he couldn't tell a story in 60 second snippets and he renegotiated up to four minute clips and they were still played they were played online and they were played as filler pieces on the cartoon network between shows but still they they were never given like a big spotlight not at the time in fact most people didn't know they existed at the time we're going to look at the first 10 episodes which they label as season one. They appeared in approximately a two-week period between November 7th, 2003 and November 20th, 2003. Um, and this is about a year and a half before the release of Revenge of the Sith. I remember seeing them a little bit before Revenge of the Sith came out. I These must have just like... I must have. Com- I don't know how I missed them. It's pretty easy to have missed them at the time. The internet wasn't as popular back then. People were definitely online. I mean, they were, right? But but mm-hmm. social media wasn't quite a thing, and they weren't getting passed around like something would today. A lot of people were were online, 
and it was definitely becoming more popular and, and platforms were coming out and so you could you could find them but yeah they, they weren't popular at the time not at all there were toy lines associated with them that are also not popular they're still not popular today they're actually sort of hard to find there just weren't very many of them produced but they're still not like collector items um, really even the collectors shunned them yeah for the most part they're not they're not a very popular toy line i think all of that being said it sort of has a bad not a bad reputation but it's sort of like an invisible product and it is very strange and like you said it was the first attempt at a cartoon or an animated star wars property since ewoks had been canceled 20 years prior or 17 years prior to this and so there's no star wars cartoons in between ewoks and this no licensed star wars cartoons and we'll talk about a few moments and when we review this over the next couple of weeks, we'll talk about a few moments where there's obvious nods to Nelvana in Tartavosky's style that he later said he put in intentionally because he watched Ewoks and Droids preparing for this job. <laughs> That's crazy. I'm pretty excited to go through this with you. But uh, before we get started, do you want to talk about any Star Wars you might have done this week? Yeah, so I, I ended up plowing through the uh, the Tempest Runner um, audio drama. I've, I've started running again, and so I've uh, used that on my runs, and I've just... I just couldn't stop listening to it, so I listened to it when I walked the dog in the morning and at night. Yeah, and so I just finished it yesterday. Did you like it without telling me anything? Because I'm not... I barely started it, but do you think it's I'm, good? I, it, it's good overall. I'm not sure if I like it yet. I've, I've listened to maybe the first 30 minutes of it. I've, I had a really hard time getting into it, and then I've just had just an absolute shit week at work. And so rather than engage something that I want to pay attention to, I've been just re-listening to old podcast episodes of shows I like just so I can clear my mind, um, and I haven't gotten back to it. Uh, I feel bad because I assume I'm going to like it, and I like Kevin Scott, and I like the other audio drama Dooku Lost he did. But I listened to it and I was just like, oh, I, I really, I'm really not into the like these pilots like hassling each other or these radar techs hassling each other. And I was like, I'll just pick this up later, so I don't poison my mind against it. Um, but I assume I'll like it. I just haven't gotten into it yet. Yeah, it it does get a lot better. The the one thing I will say about it that they didn't do quite as well as say like the Star Wars radio drama or even the Dooku one is that when you do things via radio, you kind of have to explain what you're doing as it's happening. Uh, when Darth Vader would do something, like he would talk about like how he's like I'm choking you with the Force, you know. That's my Darth Vader from the radio drama voice. It's like um, he was here. <laughs> what happened um no, no it's just that he you know that they would explain what they're doing as they're doing it this one has a lot of like cool special effects but you're just kind of like um what's happening a little bit more imagination necessary maybe yeah okay well that's i'm excited to try it i'm glad you yeah. like it mostly or think you might like it haven't decided yeah i'll have to listen to it again but I, I need to give myself a little time did you do anything else uh nope other than um i watched this uh show a few times in uh preparation yeah i had a light week um i just i've had a really rough week at work and just not a lot of free time i posted our last episode after a quick and dirty edit and 
wrote the notes for this show and watched watched the first ten episodes of this three times. Mm-hmm. So that's about what I could squeeze in this week. Sounds like a lot when I say it, but it's not that much. Though I, I have to say, once again, you know, like kudos to the to the story team for the High Republic. I'm, you know, I'm maybe just a little bit behind uh, on the. Co- no, actually, I think I'm caught up on the comics, and I haven't, but I haven't read any of the IDW ones. But everything High Republic is just flowing. You know, like like one thing that happens in the comic books is is sort of referenced like in this story, like characters, major plot events. It, it, it's wild because usually usually kind of comics. Comics and games tend to be the, the last tier, and they kind of get shit on, and there's stuff over overwritten. So it was actually nice to see that uh, you know there's there's this kind of a seamless uh, plan. Like I wouldn't be surprised if they have everything already all done, and they're just releasing it in chunks. Yeah, like an overarching plan or a huge outline for all three segments, and they're just writing the books as they go. But they know exactly what elements have to go in each piece of material. Yeah, um, it's called a plan, and it's the thing that I'm not. I'm not a sequel trilogy hater, but it's one of the things that you and I talked about. That is a yeah. disappointment. Is that it's Star Wars? You should have drawn yourself a map. Mm-hmm. Instead, yeah, like it's like, a problem that the prequel trilogy had. It's a problem the sequel trilogy had. You needed a goddamn map. Yeah, like I would actually recommend trying to catch up on the comics. You know, before reading this. Okay, that's that's good feedback. I I've been wanting to catch up on the comics anyway, so maybe I'll do that this week before I dive into Tempest Runner. Cool. All right. Well, shall we get into uh, shall we get into the uh, the Clone Wars? The shroud of the dark side has fallen. Begun. The Clone War has. Do you mind if I talk about a couple of the actors? Uh, yeah, that portray. I'm not going to spend a lot of time I, on this, but there's what's that? I do mind. Yeah. Oh, you do mind. <laughs> I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but there's two actors that I want to highlight um, today, and I'll when we go through it next week. I'm going to do a couple more. Um, there's a lot of interesting choices in the actors for this show, um, but first uh, I want to talk about Cree Summers. Cree Summers is a voiceover actor that has played every single cartoon character that you've loved as a child if you grew up in the 80s and 90s. She has hundreds of credits, um, which include, like, Penny from Inspector Gadget and just about any female cartoon character you can imagine, including um, characters on Ewoks. Uh, She was a reoccurring character who played, like, Latara on, on Ewoks. In this show she's the voice of Luminara um and actually her father was the voice of Jan Tosh in um no way yeah so her whole family is touching um multiple Star Wars properties she's got some other voiceover work in Star Wars video games look her up sometime she has a big presence on Twitter and she constantly is working she was not Latara she was um Nisa on Ewoks, and she was Princess Garen on Droids. Uh, so, so she's. I want to highlight her because she's sort of a legacy act, actor on Star Wars, and she comes back to do Luminara again here. And then the other actor I want to talk about is uh, John DiMaggio. He's <laughs> he's in this, and he's best known for uh, his role on Futurama Bender, at least in my. He, he... Yeah, he's also um, the voice of Marcus Phoenix from the Gears of War 
franchise. That's the video games. Yeah, I, I recognize the video game name, but I never played that game. Uh. Bite my shiny metal ass. <laughs> uh, so so he's in this this series too, and he's just a he's just a huge voice actor. Um, he does a thousand different different things. And if you're ever curious, you could sorry you could you could look him up. But he he actually plays General Grievous in this series, and he has other Star Wars work in Star Wars Legos, Lego like Freemaker Adventures and things like that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I just want to highlight those two, but we can go ahead and move on to the plot summary. And like I said, we're doing the first 10 episodes, so why don't you sort of lead us in? So, it starts off chapter one. The show is uh, opening up with a voiceover from Yoda. He's uh, riding a kaibuk on a battlefield with some clones and droids. The thing he said that stuck out to me, he said that the Clone Wars spread like a fire across the galaxy. The name of the last uh, episode of season one of Rebels was Fire Across the Galaxy. So I thought that that, like, when I heard that, I was like, whoa, that's that's pretty cool. It might it might be, uh, you know, might just be a coincidence, but oh, I, I thought it was uh, I doubt that. cool. Like, uh, might have been a cool nod by Rebels. Okay, but anyways, uh, Jedi Starfighters, they're dropping bomb. The opening is cutting between scenes with Count Dooku, Mace Windu, Luminar, and Barriss, Kit Fisto. You know, just showing, you know, battles just happening everywhere. You know, um, Count Dooku's making a deal with the uh, the Quarren. It ends up showing uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan kind of doing a, a drop from a, a um, dropship, like, super far up, flying down, using the Force, and showing them in battle. Yoda's voiceover... Uh, says the fate of the war rests on the Jedi Order and the newly founded Army of the Republic. And he kind of gives, he kind of talks a little bit how one of them is um, the most gifted users of the Force. And it's showing Anakin slicing up droids. So it, it's obvious that he's talking about Anakin. So after this little montage, they uh, cut to Palpatine's office where Obi Wan, Yoda, Palpatine, and Anakin are meeting about attacking the, the planet uh, Mutalist. Obi-Wan explains how the droids are coming from factories on Mutalist. Palpatine wants to send Windu, but he's too busy. Oh, he's on Dantooine. Yeah, so that's a cool little throwback. Uh, Yoda volunteers Obi-Wan, but Palpatine suggests Anakin lead the uh, space attack. And after sending back and forth, Anakin is given command. Yoda and Obi-Wan are definitely not happy. Because Palpatine just kind of like cuts them off and says like, "Yep, okay, it's decided." After, I know. Go ahead. You know, after nothing was decided. Since these are so short and they're packing so much into it, that the pace of these little clips at times seem frantic. There's like that whole montage in the beginning. There's like thousands of droids on the screen, like a Jedi is like literally carpet bombing them, and you just see like <laughs> droid parts flying everywhere. Yeah. And it's like smash cutting in between like Kip Fisto and Windu and Yoda and Anakin. And there, you might be spending two seconds on each one of these. And they're just like piles of droids everywhere and clone troopers blowing up. But this scene in Palpatine's office is actually a piece of plot. And Palpatine, I don't know, he like he looks wild here. Mm-hmm. He looks like a Ren and Stimpy character almost. Yeah, he's got very. He's got like the Darth Sidious bags under his eyes that, like, like the, that the emperor the emperor has uh, when you first see him in um, uh, Jedi. And he's got like the he's got like the fingernails, like an opium addict, and he's like clicking <laughs> them together. And you have to telegraph so much in so little time that when he gives the command of the space battle to Anakin, 
Obi-Wan and Yoda look like look at each other like they just smelled a fart, you know? <laughs> like like their their facial expressions are so exaggerated and angry and like upset. It's it's really interesting like how there's no time for subtlety, and so everything is everyone's wearing their heart on their sleeve in a way. Oh yeah. Well, he just he like he outmaneuvered them. You know, got them to say something nice about Anakin, and he's like, "Okay, so it's settled." All right. Let's um, all right. Yeah. So <clears throat> troops are loading onto the cruisers while Obi Wan looks on. Obi Wan fears Anakin is not ready for the task. He even thinks Qui Gon could not have prepared a Padawan for the task. It's because of the war. He, he doesn't think that uh, any, I guess anybody's be really ready for it. It shows uh, Anakin getting into a starfighter, leaving R2 and C3PO behind. He hovers up to Padme's window, and they wave kind of goodbye. He presses his hand to the canopy, and she pushes her hand to the glass, and uh, he flies off. I really like this scene here um, for a couple of reasons. One, when the troops are loading onto the cruisers, it's playing the Imperial March. And so it's the the march where it's da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. That music is playing, and then when it goes to him looking at Padme, it plays Padme's theme. Um, and then they turn and fly off, and it's playing sort of the the ending of Attack of the Clones music, where you see all the ships taking off, and yeah. you know, it says, like, Begun the Clone Wars has. Um, it's playing that music. But I also love the shot of seeing all the ships fly off to battle. Yeah, such a beautiful shot. Yeah. Now some of these, um, some of these ships, I don't know. Have we ever seen them before? Like they had the Venator uh, ships, but with the only the one spire. Yeah, they have a weird name. I meant to, I meant to bring it up, but um, and the Jedi starfighter that uh, you see Anakin in um, is a different model than the one you see in the um, Return of the Sith or in um, in any of the other Clone Wars. It's got like a it's got like two large air intakes, and then the the um, the um, the engines themselves are actually kind of small, and the the um, the astromech sits right in front of the pilot. Yeah, so the the cruisers are acclimator class, not venator class assault ships. And that's the difference there. And I can look up the Jedi cruiser too. It, and the Jedi cruiser is the Aether Sprite class light interceptor. Um, it is a different class of Jedi Starfighter. And Anakin's is called the Azure Angel. You're right. These are different different versions of the same. They're familiar, but they're different. All right, so chapter two. So now the fleet is above the, the planet. Obi-Wan, meet, he meets with the ARC troopers, telling them that they're the best and they have a special mission. Now, they, these ARC troopers look a lot like the ARC troopers that we know, except there's the one who seems to be the leader is in red instead of uh, the blue, like um, like Rex and, and Fives and the rest would the rest would be wearing. Obi-Wan goes to meet with Anakin, and Anakin's working on a starfighter. Anakin says that he's the best pilot, so he should be in charge. Obi-Wan lets him know that his skills aren't the issue, but his maturity. Obi-Wan calls him commander and leaves. This is another instance of economy of story, where Obi-Wan calls him commander, but there's hostility in it. Mm-hmm. it it's like he's insulting him with the word commander, almost. It's, it's pretty hard to listen to. Yeah. And I, I gotta wonder if they took cues from this, since he's a Padawan, he's called Commander, 
in the Clone Wars, it was the kind of it was the I, I guess it was standard practice for Jedi Knights to be generals and Padawans to be commanders to have the rank commanders. Yeah, that's that's a good callback. That's mm-hmm. a great or call pull. call forward. Call forward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The space battle begins with hundreds of fighters on both sides engaging. Anakin's leading the space battle over the planet as hundreds of troop transports pour out of the cruisers full of clones being led by Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan eventually dispatches the ARC troopers and one ship breaks off away from the group. This is pretty cool, just the amount of, like, they showed, like, the invasion force. It's it's massive. It's, like, hundreds of hundreds of these dropships. It is, it is the thing that this cartoon 100% gets right is the scale of the battles. It is incalculable how many troops they're pouring down onto this planet because it's just this constant stream of hundreds if not thousands of ships and each ship might have 20-ish clone troopers on it and you can't you never see the whole fleet at once because it's so grand and the same thing with the fighters it's like when the fighters pour out they just keep coming Mm-hmm. It's like it's like an infinite supply, like a video game almost. But it's just so perfect to to show like what's at stake. Yeah, it it really made me think of like how the hell did they afford all this? Because like you think about like how much like a you hear about like how much just a regular military vehicle is, and you say holy cow! And you know, and our and our military has hundreds or thousands of you know Humvees in our tanks. I I don't know for certain, but it's just like that's a massive amount of money like so how did i don't know i don't know why it just hit me when watching all these you know all these drop ships it's just like that's a lot of equipment and and a lot of soldiers yeah like that's you know that's just a ton of money right there okay so the troop transports are attacked and they land uh to uh, engage detroit army meanwhile the single transport with the arc troopers is flying into the city they eventually are shot down and crash in the city but climb out of the ship they survey the area when a b1 battle droid fires at them from a perch chapter three the arc troopers are pinned down in the streets of the capital city hernaden by the b1 battle droid snipers firing on them the clones use some sort of sn- uh, some sort of scanner to find the locations and slowly pick off the droids using rocket launchers and blasters once the droids are gone they proceed through the streets now i really like this whole even this part even all the way through um, just seeing their assault because they, they don't. The only time they talk is like when they talk to Obi Wan. The rest of the time they're just using like hand signals, and you know, and it's very exaggerated. And they and they make uh, sounds because their their armor be moving. So like the their the commander, the guy in red, is you know doing different hand signals, telling troops to go you know do different things. I thought this was like very well done. Yeah, this is more economy of storytelling. Um, in my opinion, it is really this chapter has very little dialogue in it, if any. You're right; the exaggerated hand movements and everything really telegraph what's going on. Um, I want to point out that this show came out in 2003, and Black Hawk Down was an incredibly popular movie that came out about a year and a half before. And this moment for me, when they're pinned down, looks exactly like Black Hawk Down. And Tartarovsky talked about like having these special forces be like seals or something and having having these moments in clone wars showing the competence of the army and that's that's this moment for me. Mhm. Yeah, that's uh 
that's pretty wild. It was, it was actually Army Rangers, not to get all whatever you know service butt hurt. But uh, <laughs> so there's a battle tank in their path, and then one of the ARC troopers engages it. He just is wild. He just gets inside it, shoots it up, and then jumps back out, and it explodes. Um, and eventually they find a location of a huge artillery gun in the center of the city. And the clones tell Obi-Wan that they've located the gun, and they scale the building, killing the droids and blowing up the tower. They cover the gun in explosives and tell Obi-Wan that their job is done, and they wait at the top of a building. Now, there's something interesting here, is that um, I wonder if this red guy will, is the um, is the template that Rex is... That's made into Rex for the the Clone Wars that we know uh, so well, the canon Clone Wars. But he's actually referred to as Sergeant. And then another time he's referred to as Commander. So there's a little discrepancy there. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. All right. So chapter four. This, uh, cut to Mon Calamari for the uh, Yoda voiceover. The Mon Calamari and the Quarn are at odds with one another. The uh, droid army allied with the Quarn and the Mon Calamari uh, were, are going to lose this war if the Jedi and the Republic don't uh, come to help them. Master Kit Fisto shows up with a small fleet to assist. Now, what's interesting is that the fleet actually lands on the water and they float. I, I love that detail. Yeah, so Fisto jumps into the water with a bunch of underwater troopers. These uh, Manta Ray-looking droids are attacking but are stopped. Fisto uses the Force to fight B-1 battle droids on underwater scooters. Eventually, the Mon Calamari uh, cavalry shows up riding kind of these underwater dragons called Kilkana. The clones, Fisto and Mon Calamari, are all fighting waves of droids when there's all of a sudden a huge energy weapon goes off aimed at the surface of the water. A Jedi cruiser is cut in half by the blast and destroyed. And and it shows like a huge wave and all the rest of them are just kind of like pushed away. It's a very nice uh, detail, like how it would happen if they were all ships and one of the ships blew up, created a huge wave, so they all kind of got pushed out. I thought it was uh, a really good attention to detail. Yeah, I I really love this weapon, and it's actually called a crab cannon. One thing that I, I really love about it is it reminded me so much of that door-cracking cannon from The Last Jedi. Yeah, you're right. But, but with, like, legs on it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I watched this three times, and every the first time I was like, oh, it sort of looks like it. And then after the second time, I'm like, I'm going to go look at this other damn cannon. And then the third time, I was like, it is the same cannon. Mm-hmm. It, is, it looks a lot like it. And I was very excited about that. So, um, yeah, like I said, it kind of looks like a crab. It fires, again, destroying more cruisers. Fisto turns to attack this weapon. Uh, it's piloted by a corn. Fisto uses the force to make a hard ball of water to throw at it, and it disables the legs and then the mon calamari uh, the uh, the cavalry they push the uh they push the cannon into a pit where it is destroyed now this whole thing is you know is the basis of that whole arc on mon calamari in the cannon clothes wars yeah i guess i'm gonna have to call it cannon clone wars is the best way to describe it you know because there's a bunch of episodes of you know fighting on mon Cal- on mon Cala, you know the corn you know versus the the Mon Calamari, it was, it's just amazing. And there was even a big super weapon right. that had to be destroyed. Yeah, and the, you're talking about the Lee Char stuff where the mm-hmm. king of Mon Cala was killed. And yeah, well, I, we're going to get to that eventually, um, hopefully one day. But I love I love how much this these little shorts establish for future Star Wars. Uh, I do want to pause here for a second, though, because there's a huge, well, I think it's a huge difference in the Disney Plus version here compared to the original series version. 
when it was released. And it's that these chapters are in the wrong order on Disney+. And it's something I noticed because I write the plot summaries for us in the notes, and I reference other material to make sure I'm getting names right and not missing things. And when I got here uh, to Chapter 4, um, the Mon Calamari was not Chapter 4 when this was re- released originally. It was Chapter 5. And so basically 4 and 5 are switched in the order. And now, I, now I'm going to start paying attention to other changes that Disney Plus has made. Or Disney's made when they re-release these on Disney Plus. But I can't imagine why they would have put them in a different order. Unless they, there's a different sort of sense of pacing. So I thought there might be an error in other reference materials. And so I went to my DVDs of these because I own the DVDs. And I looked at the chapters and the chapters on the DVDs are in the other order. And so Disney Plus definitely changed the order of the chapters of this series. Strange. I mean, I know they've done some, like, added some sounds to some of the original trilogy. But, yeah, this is, yeah, I don't, I don't know why. We'll never know. Yeah. <laughs> but right. we noticed Lucasfilm. All right. So um, so Chapter 5 is back to the uh, space battle. Anakin is flying through a field of blaster bolts, chasing John, Jordan fighters. It's it's obvious he's a, you know, he's a great pilot. On the planet, uh, the Republic forces are making progress thanks to uh, huge artillery cannons that are, they're using to carpet-bomb the city. These cannons are kind of funny because they look a lot like the Jawa sandcrawlers with cannons on the back. I don't know if you got that impression. That's a good call. Um, I think that they're supposed to be sort of the big pulse cannons from the end of Attack of the Clones, because there are a couple of ships that, or a couple of tank-like things at the end that have big cannons on them that look like these, and they they shoot like lightning bolts out of them. Mm-hmm. But the sand crawler thing is a good call. So inside uh, separatist buildings, some Muns are discussing how they're losing the battle when the gun is destroyed. The Mun begin to panic, and they start directing their ex- Anxiety towards Dirge. Uh, Dirge heads outside where he mounts up speeder bikes with a bunch of IG-looking droids called IG Lancer droids. Now these are—they're like all black, and they got like kind of like um, pencil tips uh, for heads, like instead of just kind of a a, a sort of cone shape. Uh, clone troopers and the ATTE walkers uh, push the advantage when Dirge and his droids uh, break through, destroying the walkers and going around to flank the Republic's artillery. The Lancer droids go from gun to gun, destroying them all. Dirge is victor- and Dirge is victorious. And this is the f- like Dir- Dirge is an interesting character because he's not in any of the other Clone Wars. He was he's in a, a comic book I have called. Uh, Star Wars Visions, but he recently became canon again uh, by appearing in the Dr. Aphra comics. I unfortunately have not made it to there because I'm just a little, I'm kind of a little put off by Dr. Aphra. I think I just needed some time off from it, but uh, it's nice to see that he's back. He's just like this huge hulking guy in armor with with all sorts of, you know, weapons, you know, um, inside of the armor. Yeah, I don't quite get Dirge's whole thing. But you're right, he appears here, he doesn't appear in the canon Clone Wars, and then very recently, and I have not read it either, um, just because I'm so far behind on the comics, he very recently appeared in Afra, and this is con- the Afra appearance is considered his first canon appearance, because the we haven't, I don't think we've said so, but these, these Clone Wars shorts are not considered canon. Yeah. There's really no like crossover. They happen right before, you know. They probably would happen, you know, before 
the uh, the events of um, the Clone Wars movie and the the TV show, but still, you know, they're, they're definitely not canon. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into it as we go through more. They cover a lot of time, and so it would be difficult at this point to sort of stitch them back into the Clone Wars, the canon Clone Wars. It doesn't affect my enjoyment of them, their canonicity. Chapter 6, we cut to the planet Rat Attack in a gladiator arena, sort of, where aliens are fighting each other. We see Count Dooku's solar sail ship landing. Uh, He's greeted by some sort of emissary who tells him that he's in time to witness the audition for his new assassin since Jango Fett is dead. Um, There's a bunch of crazy aliens squaring off. There's um, uh, some droids. There's a wampa. There's some Gamorreans. They're just all fighting each other. So the emissary and Dooku sort of sit down in the stadium seat and they're watching... And all of a sudden, the emissary is gone, and a woman in a cloak is standing next to him. Uh, Dooku says he's impressed with her infiltration abilities, but he's not interested in a spy. He wants to see her fight. So this woman jumps down into the arena, revealing herself to be Ventress. I'll just call her Ventress. Um, this is the prototypical or prototype of Massage Ventress. She's this sort of bald, white, sort of black and white character. Um, so she jumps down in the arena with all of these fighters in it, and she can sort of fools a droid that's shooting fireballs to kill a bunch of the other fighters before she uses the force to throw the droid up into the ceiling, destroying it. Um, at this point, other fighters run toward her, and she pulls down the ceiling, crushing them under boulders until only one remains. At this point, she pulls out her green and blue lightsabers and kills this last combatant, and Dooku doing a slow clap, tells her that she's more powerful than he had originally sensed, and Ventress calls herself a Sith, while Dooku laughs at her. Sure. Uh, I just want to comment on this chapter, that this is another another example of how frantic the action is. There are an indeterminate number of fighters in this arena, and they're all fighting each other simultaneously, and they're sort of squaring off two by two. Ventress jumps down there and just kills them all, and some of the spectators. Collateral damage. <laughs> yeah. So, Chapter 7. Dooku is now in the arena with Ventress, and he tells her that she's imitating a Sith, and he knows that she's not a Sith because he senses fear in her, and Sith don't have fear. Um, Ventress calls him a fool, like a foolish old man, and says he knows nothing about the dark side. Dooku laughs, and then electrocutes her with Force Lightning until she's unconscious. Yeah, I thought this was pretty... Like, I, I, I enjoyed... The, uh, the voice actor's work for Dooku because, you know, she, she calls him foolish old man and he's just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, he's like, but he, but he says it in such kind of the, the uh, kind of a classy way that's just like, like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought it was, I thought it was really funny. Yeah, it's, it's really perfect. Um, so Ventress wakes up in Dooku's palace. Like she's sort of sleeping on like a looks like a couch made out of stone, and she sees her lightsabers on a table. She goes to get them, and Dooku attacks her. She uses the force to grab her sabers, and then they duel. The duel is pretty crazy. They're basically flying around the room, crouching tiger, hidden dragon style. And Dooku is taunting her, saying that if she were a Sith, she should be winning. This battle will be over already. She uses the force to pull down a statue, and Dooku, having had enough cuts her sabers in half, and throws her across the room. Ventress tells Dooku just to kill her, um, but instead Dooku calls to his master, who is on one of those 
holographic projectors that's sort of walking around like a crab or like a spider. We see one, um, I think Nuke Gunray has one in The Phantom Menace. Dooku's talking with Darth, the hologram of Darth Sidious, and Darth Sidious says that he's impressed with her lightsaber skills and that she'll be a fine ally in their fight. I think she, he calls her a disciple or something. Yeah, I thought that was really cool, calling Ventress a disciple. There's a whole book pretty much based around her called Dark Disciple. Yeah, that's a good call. Good callback. Call forward. What are we calling <laughs> it? Yeah. Um, so Ventress asks what they want her to do. She's obviously very reverent toward Sidious. Sidious says that there's a Jedi named Anakin Skywalker. He wants her to find him and kill him. Ventress says that the Jedi are arrogant and they must fall. Dooku gives Ventress new red lightsabers and a starfighter, and she flies off. Dooku tells Sirius that Ventress will be a good match for Skywalker, and Sidious says, who cares? She's a tool, a means to an end. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a very good exchange. Yeah. One thing about, like, Sidious is that, like, his teeth are super crooked and and awful in this this incarnation, uh, you know, of him. Yeah, his grill is super jacked. Yeah. Chapter 8. Back on Munalinst, uh, the clones report that the cannons were being destroyed. K- Kenobi sees through his quad knocks that uh, Lancer droids are sort of carving up all of the artillery, and then he notices Dirge. So then he goes down to face off with these people, but before he does that, he apparently equips everybody with jousting lances so they can go joust each other. <laughs> this is a great cartoon conceit. So basically a big jousting match happens where hundreds of clone troopers with lances drive directly at a bunch of IG lancer droids with lances. Everybody, it's just pure chaos. You can't tell what's going on. Just everyone's falling off their bikes. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, Kenobi reveals himself to be very good at jousting, and so is Dirge. So they find each other, and they start battling Dirge knocks Kenobi's helmet off, and Kenobi wrecks Dirge's swoop bike by cutting it with his lightsaber. So now they're just sort of off their bikes, and they're fist fighting. Kenobi and Dirge are going at it, and Kenobi stabs Dirge through sort of his center mass of his body with his lightsaber. Yeah, this whole, this whole like, um, I want to say, like, up to this point, like, um, other than, like, him falling, getting knocked off his bike, he is pretty much manhandling Dirge. You know, just, like, everything that Dirge does, he's just, like, you know, he's, you know, destroyed his bike. And then, like, he, you know, like, uh, up until the point where you just mentioned where he stabs Dirge, he's just, like, you know, slices this, slices that, you know, just gets right through his defenses. It's it's nice to see, because, you know, they always have them like working super hard, but this is just like a Jedi just, you know, using a lightsaber. It's a big flaming sword. It just cuts through anything, or at least cuts through anything when they need it to cut through anything for the plot. But just that he's just very, you know, he's just very proficient, and he's just, you know, he wins that, or at least wins the battle pretty easily. It is very satisfying. Kenobi stabs Dirge through the chest, and there's a huge pause here where they sort of stare at each other. Um, especially for how frantic the pace of this is. Several seconds, there's just no action. And then Dirge laughs and starts punching Kenobi. And this is where the battle sort of turns out of Kenobi's favor. Dirge shoots bullets out of his wrists, and Obi-Wan blocks them with the Force. He shoots fire out of his wrist, and Kenobi blocks it with the Force. And then he 
extends like a mace on a chain with spikes on it. And then Kenobi recalls his lightsaber from Dirge's body and then quickly cuts the mace, cuts off Dirge's arm, and then cuts Dirge in half at the waist. Dirge falls down, and Kenobi hops on his bike to go meet up with his troops. But right when he goes off, you see Dirge's body starts to reassemble itself. Mm -hmm. So we learn Dirge basically can't be killed this way. I'm pretty sure it happened during this fight. He had those, those wrist shields that Sabine has. Yep, that was this fight. Yeah, I just thought that that was, you know, once again, you know, like, they, you know, like, maybe this is, they, you know, there's so much stuff that has been, like, taken from, uh, you know, legends as well. But, you know, this is like a, you know, seems like something they definitely borrowed from this for uh, Rebels. There's so much stuff in this show. I assume everybody that worked on Rebels and Clone Wars watched this multiple times. And it's great that there's little callbacks like that in it. Let's keep going because we got so much to get through. Uh, chapter 9, um, so Kenobi is on his bike racing uh, through the city to the tower that the clones took earlier, and he rides his bike up the building, um, which is a great cartoon thing, but he, he literally rides his bike up the building and then joins up with the troops at the top of the tower where they blow the roof and repel down into the command center for the Munalist army. There are droids in the, in the room, but it's very quickly secured. And then one of the Munes is begging for its, his life when Dirge flies in through the window. Um, great, great entrance by him. Mm-hmm. All of the clones turn and start shooting at him. And his armor is getting damaged and he's getting pushed back. And then a clone trooper walks up with a rocket launcher and hits him with a rocket. And then the clones call all clear from the room. Obi-Wan expresses a little bit of skepticism. And then a huge humanoid blob of worms starts just crushing clone troopers. And, like, these arms are getting, like, extended out and knocking them over. Very uh, Akira-like. Absolutely. That's a great call. Uh, So he's like this giant pile of worms. They try to shoot him. They try to tie him up, but he's, he obviously can't be hit or harmed this way. Um, And his body swallows Obi-Wan and Obi-Wan drops his lightsaber. Um, Even after Obi-Wan is swallowed, uh, they still try to kill him and they electrocute him with some probe. I thought this was highly risky since your general was just sucked into this thing. Everything turns out fine <laughs> because all of a sudden dirge explodes, leaving all this liquid crap and worms all over the room. And Obi-Wan is visibly wet and he's standing there. Presumably Obi-Wan used the force to pop him. Um, but I don't, I don't quite know what happened. Did, did you understand what was going on here? Um, yeah, they just yeah he used the force to you know make him just to explode. That was my because this this whole whole thing from him getting swallowed up you know was again like a an Akira you know like a uh, a nod to Akira and then with him just all of a sudden just becoming all distorted and eventually blowing up that was you know that was more Akira but yeah I pretty sure it was just him using the force to blow him up. All right, well that's what I thought happened. So. The visibly wet Obi-Wan goes back over to the moon and says, you are about to surrender. (laughs) 
And now chapter 10. So we're back in space. Anakin is chasing some droid fighters around the gunships. There's some great piloting happening here where there's tracking shots of him chasing these things. He's getting them to strafe their own platforms, chasing him. Um, But there are thousands of ships. There's reinforcements um, showing up on the droid side. So Anakin decides to turn and fly into the swarm. And spinning's a good trick. (laughs) So he he spins and fires and destroys a bunch of them. But really he gets the swarm to chase him rather than his troops. So he's he's flying toward one of the um, cruisers. And he tells Red Leader to fire a bunch of missiles across the deck of the cruisers, even though there's nothing there, because Anakin's leading the swarm up, and they're blinded by the cruiser being there, and so they, he passes by the deck of the cruiser, and then a bunch of missiles hit the swarm of droid fighters. But some of the missiles follow Anakin, um, because they're obviously some sort of tracking missiles, and he's doing all these maneuvers to get away from them, but he flies into one of the gun platforms and the missiles detonate all around him because now this is pod racing. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very much a quote visually and thematically from the Phantom Menace. So the gun platforms are being destroyed. He's clearly winning the space battle. When another fighter shows up out of the blue and just wipes out an entire squadron. And he can seize the new fighter and says that this one is his, and they fly at each other, firing their blasters. Mm-hmm. To be continued. Yeah, and, and it's awesome. And, go ahead. It's, this, it's, this, uh, it's the same ship from Clone Wars. Yes, yes. And so this is another quote from... The Clone Wars quotes this again. Um, but it is the same ship from Clone Wars later. And this is Ventress's ship, but we'll reveal that next week. Yeah. <laughs> The fact that, like, that they, uh, you know, they, like, you know, when he's flying, Anakin's flying, he's got that weird kind of like '70s headband sort of um, headset that they that they use that in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, I mean, maybe they got, you know, some. Um, no, the, it wouldn't have been in product, you know, in production by then. It would have been in pre-production, but yeah, they wouldn't have they wouldn't have been doing any photography. Yeah, so maybe they were given like some glances at some stuff that you know, like, hey, use these ideas. But it's it's a great visual language, and they're they're really, it's familiar and unfamiliar. You know, it's like the characters aren't quite what you expect them to look like, because they are they do have like that caricature look to mm-hmm. them at times, but everything is recognizable. And yeah, it's really drawing against the things that we've noted that we we get in future movies and future shows and past movies and past references. So yeah. it's, it's really, really thoughtful piece. Yeah. In fact, I think about, um, you know, like Obi-Wan, it's actually it's the same voice actor. Um, was it James, James Arnold Taylor? It's the same actor yeah. for Obi-Wan and a different actor for Anakin. Yeah. So it's definitely weird hearing Anakin's voice. Nothing, not, um, not uh, shitting on the uh, the guy who did it, uh, Matt Lucas. He did a he did a great job. It's just very. It takes a little bit to get used to, and um and and the styling. You know, I think maybe, you know, we were talking earlier about you know like, Nelvana 
that yeah, you know, maybe you know, maybe did give Nelvana a little bit of grief for their their art style on it because it's definitely you know much different, but it's just strange. But you know, the I think the story is you know, I think these are much better than you know the droids and the Ewoks. You know, and these are these didn't even have the um, the amount the amount of uh, time that they did. But you know, by the time this came out, two thousand three. Cartoons were much different. Very much different. I mean, this is post-Batman and all of that stuff that really changed the way you could write kids' cartoons. Um, I do want to point out that that we went through 10 episodes, and I think it was 33 minutes of airtime. Um, thereabouts, right? And so we're really, mm-hmm. we're really at like three and a half minutes an episode. And some of these episodes have no dialogue. So imagine, like, these, these were released basically Monday through Friday over two weeks on the Cartoon Network. Like, imagine how disjointed it must have seemed at the time. We have the luxury of being able to sit down and watch them all. But it must have seemed crazy if you missed one or you didn't quite know what was going on. It's like, why is Obi-Wan blowing up this worm guy? Yeah. (laughs) Or what, like, oh, like, who's this Sith woman now? It's hard to put myself in, in a place where I didn't know where who Ventress was, but so much stuff is in these episodes. It, it's it's really mind-blowing, like, how influential these little three-minute tiny stories were. And, like, we talked about, like, the planet they go to to meet, uh, Dooku goes to to meet Ventress is Ratatak. And you said something about Ratatak earlier today. What was that? It, it was from the, uh, from the Knights of the Old Republic game. Okay, but I I also think it's from Clone Wars. It's the planet that Ventress is a Jedi on. Who meets her her master, and he's killed on Rat Attack. There's a lot that that this silly little show informs in the future, because I don't know if this is the first mention of it or not, but it connects Ventress to Rat Attack for sure. And it's hard to it's hard to imagine that 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 association is random they you know definitely like to recycle stuff you know even if they're not going to go crazy you know crazy with you know like what the um the original um inhabitants of red attack were you know they um you know just you know that's that's just a familiar name that you can use you know kind of tie things back in um so we haven't even talked about it but uh did you like it oh yeah yeah i love these episodes these are great. I was I wasn't sure what to expect because I hadn't seen them since I originally saw them before um, before uh, Revenge of the Sith came out. But these are great. Yeah, even though they're they're not canon, I, I tend to sometimes be a bit of a canon snob. But these are really great. You know, like as soon as it starts up, I'm just like super excited and like, ooh, Star Wars, yeah. Yeah, it's a weird format, but I watched I watched these with the kids maybe a year or two ago. And in watching them again, like all the way through, the kids were completely wrapped. They they held up like shockingly well for something that's almost twenty years old now in Star Wars and has like the problem problems of the sequel or the prequel trilogies like hung over its around its neck. But this is really really shows that the story that people that there's so much story potential in the Clone Wars. That even showing us like an alternative, almost what if scenario of like, what if this was the Clone Wars, is so compelling. Mm-hmm. 
it's just amazing to me that that they could do this right and some we're gonna get to a couple weird ones coming up for sure <laughs> yeah or some weird moments at least but uh these first 10 episodes are incredible for what they squeeze into 33 minutes and i just loved it yeah me too i'm I'm looking forward to watching the rest of it again and talking about it. Um, so we have a pretty long recording already. Pretty long recording already. So do you want to just skip to the to the review or the rating, and uh, and then next week we can sort of dig deeper into our thoughts now that we have a format down. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how we rank episodes is we rank them by uh, characters from Star Wars. So a really awesome episode would be. You know, a one of the major characters from the original trilogy. You know, Han, Luke, Leia, Vader, etc. And somebody, you know, and a really bad episode would be somebody who's just not too important or just you know some extra that's just you know can stand out. It's not really great, or just somebody maybe has some dialogue who's just the worst. So in this one, I'm man, I I I don't know. Let me think about it. What do you, Matt? What are you? Uh, what do you rate this first part as? Um, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give it like a Mace Windu, I think. Really? Um, yeah, it's I know Mace Windu has a bigger plot in the next next section, so I, w- I don't want to use him for one that he's like a central player for. I think this the the fact that this thing exists at all is so cynical. Um, it's like let's make toys, let's yeah. sell let's sell toys, and that that sort of makes it shitty. In, in the sense, it's like it's not really art; it's like a prolonged commercial. But everything about it is so interesting and compelling. Yeah. The well, art every, style. Go ahead. Say the, all the cartoons that we grew up with, or at least I grew up with, were all meant to sell toys yeah. or sell horrible breakfast cereals. So it's just like for me, I'm used to that. Yeah. I mean, but I guess what I'm what I'm trying to get at is like it didn't have to be artistic. Because if it just needed to sell toys, it just needed to be stupid, like Chocobot Hour, you know. <laughs> um, it could uh, it could have been that, mm-hmm. but it's it's actually really compelling. It's it's a cool plot. It's good Star Wars, right? Because it's universe building. It's showing us stuff that we haven't seen, and it it really it's hard for me to not get excited about this because I don't know if you get Clone Wars canon without this. Without this, without this being made first and showing that it's possible to do Star Wars cartoons. Yeah, that's a very good point. You know, Lucas might have been, you know, this might have been given him the idea, or he might have had a similar idea and saw the, you know, how well this was done, and decided to move forward with it. Yeah, and I think I think for that reason, this first chapter, how well it's, how well it looks, like how well it comes together and how handicapped the format is um, and still how successful it was really demonstrates that there's a market for Star Wars cartoons and really launches launches everything that we care about today, like Clone Wars, Rebels, Bad Batch, Resistance, like all of that happens because of this happens. And so Mace Windu, because Windu's awesome, and so is this. All right, well, you know, you've you've changed my mind. I'm going to go with a Dooku. Because I, I like, I just like his character in uh, the, uh, uh, I think it was a chapter seven, six and seven. Yeah. He, he's just great. Um, so, yeah. So I'll give it a Dooku. 
so pretty solid uh solid reviews from the both of us so so that's it uh for us you know if you enjoyed us please give us a uh review on wherever you get your podcasts you know um tell a friend you know we don't put any advertising into this if you uh if you didn't like it tell somebody you don't like because screw them right you know just say like so we'll be back next week with more of the 2003 clone wars Thank you for downloading and listening to this episode. We would also like to thank Jordan White for the use of his cover of Yub Nub as our intro and outro music. Please refer to the show notes for photos, clips, and links from this episode. Side effects from listening to Yubcast may include dizziness, dry mouth, a sense of confusion, and decreased sex drive. Serious side effects may include speaking in Ewok, speculating the origins of prequel characters, and wondering why two grown men discuss children's cartoons on the internet. For a complete list of side effects or to complain about the show, please visit us on Twitter at Yubcast or drop us an email at noochbaderproductions at gmail.com. Thanks again. We'll see you again next week with a new episode. Yubcast is not affiliated with Lucasfilm or the Walt Disney Company. Star Wars, its characters, and creations are the property of Lucasfilm and its parent company, the Walt Disney Company. Yubcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Da 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 da